Welcome to Nerd Heaven. I'm Adam David Collings, the author of Jewel of the Stars, and I am a nerd. This is episode 17 of the podcast. Today, we're talking about Star Trek Picard, episode 7, Nepenthe. I'm away at Olveston in northwest Tasmania for a church family camp, so you might hear some rolling waves or even a fairy penguin or two in the background of this episode. But Star Trek waits for no one. And wow, what an episode we have to talk about. The description on Memory Alpha reads, Picard and Soji transport to the planet Nepenthe, home to some old and trusted friends. As the rest of the La Serena's crew attempt to join them, Picard helps Soji make sense of her recently unlocked memories. Meanwhile, Hugh and Elnor are left on the Borg cube and must face an angered Nerissa. The episode was written by Samantha Humphrey and Michael Shabon, and it was directed by Douglas Arniokoski, and it first aired on the 5th of March 2020. And of course, it guest starred Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis. Make it so. Man, I love this episode. It exemplified what Star Trek Picard is when it's at its best. It was a slow-paced, deeply character-driven story. This week's flashback takes place just three days ago, taking us back to episode three of the show. We get to see a little of what went on between Commodore O and Agnes. She asks a few questions about what Agnes told Picard, and then she says she'll show Agnes what will happen if synthetic lifeforms are allowed to exist. And she performs a mind meld with her. So up until now, my assumption has been that O is a Romulan posing as a Vulcan. But can Romulans perform mind melds? We know they are an offshoot of the Vulcan race. We know that mind melds are a very ancient Vulcan practice. But to my knowledge, we have never seen, in any canon or non-canon source, a Romulan perform a mind meld. Raffi and Maddox both believe there are Starfleet officers complicit with the Jatvash, behind this whole thing. So maybe O really is a Vulcan, just working with the Romulans. It seems pretty obvious to me that she knows Rizzo is a Romulan. We don't know exactly what she showed Agnes. A few rapid flashes of images. I believe there was an exploding planet in there. We don't have a full enough picture to see what exactly it was to change Agnes's mind so completely, to drive her to betray Picard and murder Maddox. It would have to have been something really compelling. So far, we haven't seen any compelling motivation from the bad guys in the show, other than they hate synthetic life, which is pretty weak. Did O convince her, or mind control her? We don't know enough. In fact, this flashback doesn't really tell us anything new, other than a mind melt was performed. Anyway, O gets Agnes to swallow a tracking device, which will come back later in the episode. Back in the present day, the La Serena is caught in a Borg tractor beam at the artifact, and poor Hugh is being interrogated by Rizzo. I am so ready for her to die. 
Rizzo says she can't kill Hugh because, as a Federation citizen, it would be a treaty violation. She doesn't really strike me as the kind of person who cares about treaty violations. Her real motivation here is to get Hugh to talk. She can't get the information out of him that she needs if he's dead. So instead, she starts killing ex-Borg, knowing how much Hugh cares for them. When Hugh refuses to talk, she lets the Lower Serena go, but sends Narek out to follow them. Elnor stays behind to help Hugh. This is where he's needed. My biggest question is, where was Elnor while Hugh was being interrogated? Why didn't he just jump in and behead Rizzo right there and then? What I like here is that the people in this show are not stupid. Rios thinks that Raffi hacked the tractor beam because that's what she was trying to do, but within seconds they realise that's not the case. They know this is suspicious and they have let their guard up from that moment on. That brings us to the planet Nepante, which is a very Earth-like planet. Looks like a bit of a paradise. Picard and Soji emerge from the Sakarian gateway thing and are immediately confronted by a warrior armed with a bow and arrow. Quick aside, am I the only one terrified that the Borg now have the technology to beam a drone onto a planet from light years away? One drone is all it would take to cause an apocalypse. And they're using it solely as a means of escape for the Queen. That seems illogical. Anyway, I love how Picard points out that his heart is solid duritanium. I think this is the first time it's been made clear to new audiences that Picard has an artificial heart. Of course, it turns out the warrior is a child, and that Picard knows her and her parents. By this point, I'm sure we've all guessed that her parents are Riker and Troy. I loved that they named their daughter Kestra after Deanna's older sister, who tragically died when Deanna was just a newborn. That story is told in one of the few really good Luaxana episodes that TNG did, Dark Page. DS9 did several good Luaxana episodes, and one bad one. Anyway, I think that's a wonderful tribute to her sister. We'll learn later in the episode that Will and Deanna's other child also has a significant name. Through a nice conversation between Soji and Kestra, we find that Soji trusts nobody, including Picard. And what she's been through with Narek and the shock of finding out her entire life is a lie, I don't really blame her. The way Picard breaks the news to Soji that she's an android was really sloppy. He should have handled that with a lot more delicacy. He should have put off Kestra's question about who Soji's father was, and taken the time during the walk to break the news to Soji as gently as he could. Personally, I think discovering that you're not a real person, but actually artificial, would be a massive shock, and quite a difficult thing to accept. But this is all another case of Picard being a good man, but not perfect. Sometimes he stumbles, even just on the little things. And I love that about this show. He kind of stumbles again when he tells her that Daj was real. That implies that Daj is dead. She's, she assumes this whole thing is just another mind game. Again, I don't blame her. And we get our first glimpse of Troy. I love the look of joy on her face when she sees Picard. 
she knows immediately he's in trouble. And then she just clouds over as she senses the depth of what Picard has been through and is still going through. Because, of course, she's an empath. Marina Sirtis is absolutely fantastic in this episode. It's a really good reminder of what a great actor she is. Something Star Trek didn't always give her the opportunity to show. When Picard introduces Soji as Dr. Soji Asher, she says, just Soji. She's learned that her doctorate and her surname are both lies. And that's a nice touch. And then we get to see Riker for the first time. He may not have his wife's empathic abilities, but he can either see in Picard's face, or just knows that he wouldn't show up for a social call. And so Riker says, Shields up. That's such a Riker line. I loved it. And I just love that Riker has shields on his house. He's prepared for all eventualities. I thought he said we've had some problems with the Zindi, which would have been a nice nod to Enterprise. But no, it's the Kazinti. Have you heard of them? Top points if you recognise the name. I didn't. But they're a race of aggressive felines that were previously seen in Star Trek The Animated Series. So that's a pretty deep cut. Deanna recognises the emotion on Soji's face and acknowledges that she's been through some genuine trauma. But she can't sense those emotions. This makes me wonder if she could sense Data's emotions once he installed the emotion chip. The movie's never really answered that question. Either way, Troy respects the truth of Soji's emotions, artificial or not. Picard tells his friends that he's in over his head. I think this is the first time he's slowed down long enough to truly realise that he's lost his crew, and his plan was not as fully formed as he'd thought. He was so focused on finding and rescuing Soji, he hadn't given any thought to what he'd do once he found her. He needs a place to regroup and formulate a new plan, and where better than here with his most trusted friends. Will Riker, his right hand, and Deanna Troy, his conscience. I'm loving the relationship that Rikers have with their daughter. It seems like a very happy family. And that's probably partly because of, rather than just in spite of, the tragedy we'll learn about later. From what we see of it, Nepente is a beautiful world. But I would have liked it if it was just a little more alien. Apparently they have venomous animals called bunnycorns, but they look exactly like rabbits. The name bunnycorn is a bit on the nose. Actually a lot on the nose. I don't I, I know they don't have infinite budget, but I'd have liked it if they'd used a CGI creature just to add a little alienness to the planet. At least in TOS they put horns on the dog. Kestra is fascinated that Soji is Data's daughter. She asks her if she plays the violin or likes Sherlock Holmes. Two things we know about Data. That's a very kid way to approach this whole thing. Kestra is more fascinated with the little human details about Soji, rather than the superhuman things. The fact that she has mucus fascinates her. This reminds me of the time Julian Bashir met Data. He wasn't impressed that Data had super strength and speed. He was fascinated that Data breathed and had a circulatory system. Soji doesn't understand in what sense Data could have been her father. She was created long after Data died. Picard really needs to take some time to explain this whole neuronic cloning thing to her. 
I like the relationship that is developing between Kestra and Soji in this episode. There are so many great character scenes, it's just one after another after another. I like the subtle little moment as Deanna sighs before opening the door to Thad's room. We learned that the Rikers had a son, had being the operative word. Last week would have been his 18th birthday, so that's a very sad development. I love the photo of Picard in uniform holding baby Thad. Picard had such a smile on his face. By this point in his life he's mostly gotten over his fear of children, but this wasn't just any child. This was the child of his dearest friends. Of course he's going to have a huge smile plastered all over his face. I love the acknowledgement from Picard that as Kestra's aching for her brother slowly fades, it brings a whole different ache to Deanna and Will. I love the writing in this episode. Their son's name was Thaddeus Riker. Thad was likely named after Colonel Thaddeus Riker, an ancestor of Will's. He fought in the American Civil War during the 1860s, and was named Old Iron Boots by his fellow soldiers. Will knows this story well, and was shocked once to learn that Colonel Riker was rescued by a Q posing as a human. It's doubtful he remembers this detail, however, as he was transported to the USS Voyager in the Delta Quadrant to give evidence in a trial against that Q, before being returned home to the Alpha Quadrant with his memories erased. Rios has figured out that somebody is tailing them. Again, the crew is not stupid. Another thing Rios and Raffi are noticing is that Agnes is not herself. Agnes makes a comment about wanting to be the fun crew member who suggests hiding in a comet that turns out to be a giant gormagander. This seems like a bit of a Star Wars reference, referring obviously to Empire Strikes Back when the Millennium Falcon hides in a cave in an asteroid that turns out to be a giant space worm but it's also a reference to something that was introduced into Star Trek lore by Star Trek Discovery. The Gormagander is a space whale, a sentient animal that flies through space. They were on the endangered species list in the 23rd century, so the fact that Agnes is making this comment suggests that maybe they're a little more plentiful than the 24th, which is cool. Agnes is really out of character at this point. She suggests abandoning the mission, abandoning Picard and abandoning Soji. She was so excited to meet a real living synth, and now she wants no part of it. She's getting really bad at hiding her true feelings. I love the little shorthand between Rios and Raffi. With just a look, she says, leave it to me, I'll work on her. And with a look of his own, Rios says, go for it, she's all yours. That demonstrates the shared history of two old friends better than Raffi's use of JL as a nickname for Picard. Not that I particularly mind the JL thing. Next, we get yet another wonderful scene, this time between Picard and Riker. Picard is still trying to protect the Rikers from all of this, and he thinks the best way to do that is to tell them nothing about their situation. Riker's comeback is both stinging and heartbreaking. I was just thinking how great it would be if ignorance of danger was all it took to keep it away from the people we love. It's a very personal statement for Riker, as we see him choke up while he says it. The soil on Nepente has regenerative powers. Things grow really well here. It's why they came here. 
It seems Captain Riker gave up his Starfleet career to move here to Nepente for the sake of his son's health. He and Deanna thought that maybe it would help. Soji is exhibiting more and more android traits now that she's activated. She finds she can read a 300 page book in a few seconds and she gives a little head tilt. I recognised that as very data long before Riker called it out. I'm sure you did too. Riker shows Picard how foolish he's being trying to keep everything to himself by essentially recounting the entire story of the show so far. He's not an idiot any more than Rios and Raffi, and he reminds Picard that he's not the captain of a starship anymore. He's dealing with a teenager, something Picard has no experience with. But Riker does. We get some interesting insight into Thad. He grew up on starships, mostly on the USS Titan, presumably. He never felt like he had a homeworld. His mother was from Beta Z, his father was from Earth. Thad didn't feel like either of those planets was his home. He was a child of space. But he was fascinated by the idea of a homeworld and invented his own, Adani. He came up with various different cultures and even whole languages. It's very creative. I can so identify with that as a writer. Already, this boy that we've never seen on screen has so much more depth than half the characters on Discovery. Interesting, that. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm bagging out Discovery. I like Discovery, but I must admit I'm loving Picard more. Eventually, when they came to Nepenthe for Thad's health, it became his homeworld, and he loved it. He had manadaxic neurosclerosis, a silicon-based virus. The heartbreaking thing is that it was curable using positronic technology, which of course was banned after the synth attack on Mars. The machine that could have saved Thad's life was made illegal. I wonder if Riker and Troy tried to get their hands on it through illegal means to save their son. This ties into an interesting discussion, which starts with a comparison of grown versus replicated food, and culminates in the question of whether real is always better than synthetic. You know what I love about this scene? It's allowing Troy to be a counsellor again. Her character was used pretty badly in most of the TNG movies. She got to be a counsellor for one brief but fantastic scene in Generations, and then that was it. Voyager gave her the chance to do a little more, but it's been a long time since we've really seen Troy being so awesome in her field. And it's fantastic. But Soji doesn't trust anyone. All these friendly faces, these people being caring just when she needs that more than ever. It could just be another mind game like the one Narek played on her in the meditation chamber. Again, I don't blame her. And yet I know these people. I know she can trust them. Picard responds to this with bluntness. As Riker said, Picard's not so great with teenagers. He may not be up to the challenge. But then Troy calls him out and said he had it coming when, Sho when Soji shoves him. To you, the idea that this could be some kind of subterfuge or simulation is preposterous, but to her, it would be more of the same. And then she makes a great suggestion. Pretend our dinner table is the ready room of the Enterprise, or more accurately, the conference lounge. I really love Troy and Riker in this episode, but especially Troy. 
So Hugh is determined to take the cube from the Jadvash. He wants to protect the XBs. As we established last week, they are victims. Hugh is one of the few people in the galaxy who care about them. Sadly, the stupid face Rizzo appears at that moment. And here we run into that problem. No matter how good you are with the sword, you're useless against a phaser. At least a lightsaber can deflect blaster bolts, but Elnor just carries a metal sword. Fortunately for him, the Zatvash have a dueling tradition of hand-to-hand -hand combat against the Koat Malat. If that weren't the case, Elnor would be dead now. But in some ways, this is subterfuge on Rizzo's part. And there is a cost. Tragically, that cost is Hugh. What sucks the most is that Elnor fails to kill Rizzo because she beams out at the last second. Oh man, I'll be cheering when Elnor finally chops off her head. <laughs> I can't believe Hugh died. That's so sad. This show has quite a high body count. At least he died a hero, trying to save the XBs from the Jadvash. I hope Elnor can fulfil his legacy by saving them in Hugh's name. But you know what upsets me the most about Hugh's death here? We'll never see him get to meet Seven. I was sure those two would share some scenes together in this show. And we'll never get to see him reunite with Geordie, his first friend. I feel like both Descent and now Picard have robbed us of that reunion. Which is sad. Raffi is trying to draw out what's bothering Agnes. She thinks it's just the pain of losing Maddox. But then Agnes absolutely breaks down. She can't hold in all the stuff she's hiding. But before they can really dig deeper into this, Rio announces that Narek is back, still following them, which doesn't seem possible. Remember that tracking device that O had Agnes swallow? I like how Riker just casually calls Troy Imzadi, like a pet name now. Back in TNG, they would use this term sparingly, only in special occasions. But they've been married for 20 years now. They're extremely comfortable with one another. Imzadi seems a natural pet name to use at this point in their relationship. We get a classic Star Trek conference scene. But it has pizza! I've missed these scenes, so having one again with Riker and Troy, but also with their daughter and Yasoji, that was very cool. And did I mention pizza? I also liked how Kestra makes a worthwhile contribution to their discussion, but not in a way that feels unrealistic for a child of her age. I really like Kestra. Rios is playing an interesting game with Agnes. I don't for one minute think that he really believes Raffi is being tracked on purpose or otherwise. Given the strange way Agnes is acting, I think he suspects she has something to do with it. But he's trying to draw her out by expressing his fake suspicions of Raffi. Remember, he already knows what Raffi was doing down on Free Cloud, and why she returned to the La Serena. And it kind of works. She admits it's not her. And then we get a very dark scene. Agnes replicates a neurotoxin. It appears this is a suicide attempt. Is this just because she feels guilty? Or does she think that killing herself will stop Narek tracking them? Maybe this is part of her mission from O. I think she is probably trying to prevent Narek from tracking them, from the way she kind of psychs herself into it, saying, you can do this, which was horrifying, by the way. 
I wanted to reach into the screen and stop her. But of course I couldn't. She injects herself, and then she collapses, and then she starts foaming at the mouth. This was horrific. And my theory is proven true, because once she starts to die, Narek suddenly loses the signal. The EMH gets reactivated and manages to save her life, but she's stuck in a coma. I wonder what Rios's idea was, the one that Raffi wasn't going to like. We never actually get to find out. That's an odd bit of storytelling. I wonder if that'll come back later. If not, why include that line at all? Meanwhile, Elnor finds a tag and presses it. It activates a Ferris Ranger SOS, so I guess he's calling Seven of Nine to come help him. Cool. But what on earth was it doing just hanging here in a Borg cube? That's kind of weird. Now that they're not being tracked, the La Serena can finally meet Picard on Nepente. I kind of laugh when Picard said his new crew carry way more baggage than TNG crew ever did. Because of course Roddenberry wouldn't allow them to carry baggage. Riker makes it clear he's still on active reserve with Starfleet, but it would take a very good reason to get him back in uniform again. We have another nice scene between Picard and Riker as they sit by the pond. We do see an interesting rock formation in the background that lends a little alienness to this planet. And then we get an awesome scene between Soji and Kestra. It seems Soji has lost one sister only to gain another. And I love how Kestra talks about how what got through her hard times was her parents. As a parent myself, that affects me deeply. I think the hope of every parent is that their child might be able to say these words to someone. She urges Soji to let Picard be that support to her, a father figure. Those two have a fair bit of work ahead of them to really let each other in. I noticed in the credits that Jay Chataway was credited as having written Lullaby 2 in this episode. I'm not sure what that piece of music was. Jay Chataway was a regular composer on Star Trek back in the 90s, especially on Voyager. Maybe it was just a little music cue that they reference in the score of the episode. I'm really not sure. So this was a phenomenal episode. It gave me such a Star Trek The Next Generation feel, and yet it was very much not TNG. TNG only ever tried to do a character episode like this once, Family. This show takes the best of what we remember nostalgically, but does something very new and fresh with it. I've really enjoyed Star Trek Picard up until now. But if I didn't already, Nepente has definitely made me love it. Well done to everyone involved in bringing this beautiful chapter of the story to our screens. Next week's episode is called Broken Pieces. I wonder what that will bring. A quest to find Soji's homeworld, no doubt. It'll be very exciting. As for my walk to Mordor, I got a whole lot of steps in yesterday, packing for our trip and then walking along the beach with my daughter. I just encountered Old Man Willow, and my next milestone is Tom Bombadil's house. That'll be a trippy experience. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Nerd Heaven podcast. Please consider giving the show a review wherever you listen to podcasts, or if you're watching on YouTube, click the like button. Also, if you'd like to support what I'm doing here, you could buy me a hot chocolate. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash adamdavidcollings. 
Have a fantastic week. Live long and prosper. Make it so.